Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. First of all, we saw earlier in this very chapter that uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, that I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that's Satan, that old serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. All right, let's just stop for a moment and look over what is... Satan's out of the way. Uh, he has now been bound. He's in, that, he says he's going to be until the end of the thousand-year kingdom. The two major uh, beings that worked with him, the beast and the prophet, they're gone. They were cast right away into the lake of fire. They've been gone for some time. They're not a part of this anymore. Why would the Lord Jesus do that? The Lord Jesus is removing from it anything, any external forces that might create havoc in the kingdom of God. He's removed from it the beast. He's removed from it the dragon. He's removed from it the prophet. They're all gone. Now, let's just say this. We won't have those dogs to kick around anymore. Now, here's what I mean by that. It has been easy enough for us to blame all the other spiritual forces for our wickedness, all of centuries. You, you could blame wicked kings. You, you could blame the devil. You could blame uh, uh, prophets that were speaking evil. You could blame the, all the gods. I just want you to get the picture here. They're out of the picture. You've got a perfect kingdom set up. You've got a perfect righteous rule going on. You've got good people. You've got people who now know the Lord. And matter of fact, the knowledge of the Lord is running with everybody. Nobody has to go anyplace and tell anybody about the Lord because everybody knows the Lord. And everybody's been under obligation to the Lord to show up at least one time a year. You've got to show up at Tabernacles. You show up at the Feast of Tabernacles back in Jerusalem where the new temple is. You show up back there. And if you show up and you do the celebration that's there at the Feast of Tabernacles, then you'll have rain back in your land when you go back to your nation. But if you don't show up there, God withholds rain from there, and you're, you're not going to have crops, which means you're not going to have food. Everybody follow that? You're not going to have any of that. So they've had all those kinds of celebrations, have had wonderful things going on there. That would be a perfect kingdom, don't you think? Let's, let's see what we can find out about this Satan guy. All right, now when the thousand years, verse 7 says, have been expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He's released to test the people one last time. Now, guys, I'm never going to fully understand, I don't think this side of glory anyway, why God permits that. I don't know. I, I don't know what Job is about. I read it. I believe it. I trust it fully. It's God's account of what went on with a with guy named Job. It's all there, and I believe every word of it. I just don't know the why of it. But you know what? It's not my world. <laughs> this is not my creation. And if I can t say this further, this is not my drama. This is not my play. I'm just in it. 
This is what God Almighty does, and I don't really have the right nor the authority nor the intelligence to ask him, what do you think you're doing? If there's any one thing I've learned from the book of Job, it's that. You can ask all kinds of questions. You can say all kinds of things, but you better be ready for the answer. Because the day's going to come when he says, well, son, are you finished? You, th- you think you're done with your questions? Yeah? Okay. Pull your pants up. All right. Stand up, boy. Where are you when I do this? Did I ever consult you when I was trying to figure out how to make the world? Did I ever ask you how to make soil? Did I ever talk to you about what kind of rocks I want to make? Did I ever ask you about how I'm going to do the animals? Did I ever talk to you about when I bring the animals to come to a place of giving birth? Did, did I ever ask you any questions about how much rain I should put so that I can bring all the wildebeests into that little section of pasture? Did I ever ask you anything about that? Did you ever counsel me? Do you remember that? Do you really believe that you are my peer that can stand eyeball to eyeball with me and ask me this? Paul, later himself in Romans, uh, I think chapter 11 maybe, said, yeah, um, it's really not good to ask a sovereign God why he does what he does. You're really better off just to say, I see that you do what you do. Because you wouldn't understand the answer if he gave it. It's his world. And he's free to do in his world what he deems best. Now, here's going to be the deal. Here's what I will know. If I'm fearful that he really is going to do something bad and that he shouldn't have that kind of authority and power, if you can't see where my sin is, let me say that one more time. If I'm afraid that he's bad and that he's going to do whimsically the wrong thing, which means, by the way, not what I would do, you follow me? Then I'm the one that's got the problem. I have soon forgotten who I am. How did I ever get the arrogance to think I could ask a question? It's a gracious God that lets me ask. Do you remember how you got here? Two little chemicals got together. And they exchanged DNA. Remember that? And they didn't ask you if they could do it. There was no counsel that said anything about it. God the Father said, it's done. New person. And he knit you in the womb of your mother without asking you a thing. He didn't need your counsel. He didn't need anything you had to say. Matter of fact, he's going to say what color skin you've got. He's going to say what kind of eyes you're going to have. He's going to make a discernment between all the cells that are inside that little blastula thing that just keeps dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing. And those cells that all were one time the same thing are going to start now becoming straight muscle. They're going to become smooth muscle. They're going to become nerve tissue. They're going to become blood cells. They're going to become capillaries. They're going to become all kinds of things. How'd they do that? And he never asked you a thing. And in that nine-month period where he knit you in the womb of your mother 
And he finally said, the time is right. And he ejected you from her body. And you came out with a, what'd you, what'd you call that earlier, uh, Peggy? An extension cord. I think that's what, the, <laughs> my, my, one of her sons, I think it said, Mom, did you know that we have an extension cord <laughs> when we're born? The, the umbilical cord. Okay, we'll just get that one. You were connected to life that way. Remember that? Well, no, you probably don't. I'm just telling you that's what happened. Somebody else told me that's what happened, all right? That thing was cut, and you were set free. But you weren't quite as free as you thought you were because you couldn't feed yourself. You couldn't do anything but make little uttering sounds, mess all over yourself. Matter of fact, you were of such that you had to have somebody clean you up 24 hours a day. And you now believe that through your extensive 23 years of life, you are capable of asking the great almighty God, why'd you do that? Guys, we are in the hands of an awesome, awesome God who is good, who has provided for you all your life. Let there not be an ounce of distrust in us that would say, your character is such you couldn't possibly do all good. You've got to do some bad somewhere along the way. Our Father is all good, and what he does is always good. All the time. He is released to test the people. I don't know why. I think I can make some guesses, but he doesn't tell us in the text why they're released. He doesn't give us that information. I, I think it's to see what's in man's heart. Man didn't have any externals. There wasn't anything outside him now that was going to affect him. What's in the heart of those who have been smiling at me all this time? Have they actually been my loyal subjects? Have they actually been true to me the whole time? I'm going to tell you, when we look at what Jesus' rule is going to be like, he says he rules with a rod of iron. The actions of people are going to be stopped immediately. Not going to be this uh, delay of three to four to five to 16 years for a trial to take place. No, it's then. It's over. It's done. And the sinner that sins shall die. Just like that. But the thoughts and tents of the heart may be different from that. I want you to look at the success of the test. It says that Satan will be released in verse 7 and 8, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. He got a lot of people who have been living in the very best conditions possible. The earth has been producing like it never has produced before. It has been feeding people. It has been caring for people. There has been great joy all over the earth. They've never had a righteous government like this one. They don't have to question the media about anything. They don't have to figure out whether somebody's telling the truth or not. It's always the truth. What is in our heart 
that would cause us in the middle of the best possible conditions to still be able to follow that worm of a creature. So I wrote simply this. Even in the best of conditions, there is still in the human heart the suspicion against God and the envy that there is more. God didn't give me everything there was. you got the best possible conditions, and you're still thinking this is not the best. We're back to Adam and Eve. Back to, the, back to the garden again. They could be tested one more time, and yes, there are people going to fail. They decided to declare war on Almighty God. They're going to rebel against the King of Kings that's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And they go up and surround that holy city. How is it that Satan is able to foment rebellion among those living in the most productive time ever and the most righteous government ever? They're enlisted from every corner of the earth, and they're called Gog and Magog. Now, sometimes uh, it's good. We, when you do Bible studies, you, you go to your concordance and you say, uh, Gog, and you want to see all the references to Gog. And, and, or you can say Magog, and you can see all the references to Magog. There are not many references to Gog and Magog. Magog was the son of Jephthah. Jephthah was the son of Noah. The Jephthites went north from where Ararat is, went north from the Ark, went north from Shinar. They went up into all the Germanic countries, all the European countries, and that may very well be why so much of our history is about that area of the world. It's all about European history. Most of our history is European history. You have to specialize in something to get African history. You have to specialize in something to get Asian history. You have to specialize in things to get the, the other histories of the world because we're mostly Western civilization. All of those people were warlike people. All of them. Some of them apparently started maybe in India or somewhere in, in Asia and moved their way across the north. That's the people who were the forerunners of the Galatians. The Galatians were the forerunners of those who lived in Gaul. The, those who lived in Gaul were the forerunners of the Celts. And all of those were warlike people. They were also the forerunners of the Germanic peoples, which became the Scandinavians, that, that became the Vikings, that became all of those. Now, the Vikings, just, just remember, Vikings is not an ethnic group. Viking is a word which means pirate. So you could be a German pirate. You could be a French pirate. Everybody follow where we're coming from? Viking is not a, an ethnic name. That's the uh, a, a I'll say an occupation, <laughs> like, like being a shepherd. You could, be a, you could be a pirate, okay? Well, that's what a Viking was. But they were all warlike people. They spent a lot of time fighting one another. So when it says he wants to go find the people who are ready to fight, he calls them Gog and Magog. And I'm thinking that's not an ethnic group at all, but it's a, a title for a kind of people that rebel against God. Gog and Magog were those of the north. Let me just go a step further with you. When Satan said he wanted to set up his kingdom, he said he would set up his kingdom on the sides of the north. Satan has been making use of kingdoms all around the world for millennia. 
Uh, he has used Babylon to get that done with. He's used the seduction of Babylon to get that done. He's been doing all kinds of things. Here's what I want to share with you, and then we'll move on from this point. This Gog and Magog that's found here is not Armageddon. What you're looking at here is not Armageddon. Armageddon had already happened at the end of the seventh year of the tribulation. This also is not Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38 and 39 has a lot of talk about Gog and Magog. That's not what this is. This is not that Gog and Magog. That, they're using Gog and Magog here as a picture, as a symbol for all of the people who rebel against Almighty God. Gog and Magog, I am pretty convinced, is also not Armageddon. Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is not Armageddon. Uh, I think uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, I believe, holds to that particular position that uh, Armageddon is the Ezekiel 38 and 39. There are several differences that go on there. Uh, and, and again, I think we'll have to study Ezekiel 38 and 39 more in depth to make sure we get that. But that, just so you know, this that's happening here is not Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38 and 39 still are to happen. There, there are something I think will happen probably pretty soon. All right? Uh, it's so successful that they are numbered as the sand of the sea. How do you get that kind of people? I, I do not know. But here's what we can find out. In the finality of the test, all humans are devoured by the fire of heaven. Now, I, I need to just change that because I'm going back over my notes. I looked at it and I said, wait a minute. It's not all humans. It's all humans who have been deceived by him. All right? It's all humans who have been deceived by him. Because there are some humans who do not have that happen to them. There are some humans that survive that whole thing. But they have surrounded Jerusalem and all the saints are inside Jerusalem with Jesus. And as the, they have surrounded that city, this is all the people who have been deceived by Satan at this last time. Yet all it says simply about them, that fire devours them out of heaven and it's done. I mean, that's, that's the finality of that statement. It's not going to describe anything to you. It's not about horses' bridles. It's not about blood. It's, not about, it's just fire devours them. This is a Sodom and Gomorrah thing. It's done. They're all gone. This is the fire of heaven that lapped up all the water, that lapped up the offering, that lapped up the altar that Elijah had built. That's the fire. And I'm thinking that fire is more than likely the angels themselves. That's the host of heaven because they are often seen as fire, the ministering of spirits and fire. Whatever it is that has destroyed them, they're all gone. None of those humans survived that at all. So all that you have left now on that earth, on that new heavens and new earth, all you have left there are Jesus and the saints. That's it. Everything else is gone. The wicked one is picked up and pitched into the lake of fire. And can I say, never to be heard from again. Never to be heard from again. Guys, from a guy who was... A, a being who was the closest to God, the cherub that covered, the cherub that was over the throne of God, the cherub that shielded God, that protected God, from the one that was the wisest, the most beautiful, he has now become not a red dragon anymore, not the awesome power of a thought of a red dragon, but no more than a worm. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 both say that when he's cast down, when he has come to the end of his life, the end of his 
career and duty, if you would. He's cast down so that all the kings look at him and say, wait, that's what deceived us? That hideous, ugly thing there, toothless, powerless, worm of a being, is what deceived nations for millennia? This? Can you imagine what that would do to the pride of an individual who fell because he loved his own beauty? The original narcissist. Because he loved his own wisdom. Because he thought so highly of himself. Has now been reduced to all the people who had seen him, who had followed him, are now above him, looking down at him, and could spit on him. All lost. Pride comes before a fall. And that's the biggest fall you could possibly have. All right? So he's in hell, never be heard from again. I did, just look at this and let's read this with me because it's just a, kind of an amazing thing. Uh, pick up here on verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. End of story. Wow. A whole book. This whole book that has interactions with that rascal all through it comes down to this final chapter, these final words. He's pitched in there forever and ever. End of story. Where's the glory? Everything he hoped for, gone. Because he offended and despised his God. Wow. Wow. Anyway, I, I just think that's a, a pathetic way to go. Then let's pick up, please, at uh, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, I want you to get the picture. Here's where we're going to go. Next week, I'm going to try to share with you that chapter 21 is an explanation of chapter 20. Just like Genesis 2 is an explanation of Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, you have God created the, the uh, male and female created them, and it's done. That's day 6 is all just, and he created male and female. He blessed them and said multiply. And chapter 2 tells us the order in which he created them, where they were when he created them, how he created them. Everybody follow me? Chapter 20 just simply says, and there was a millennium. They reigned within a thousand years. At the end of a thousand years, such and such did so and so. But chapter 21 comes back and says, and here's what it looked like. And that beautiful picture of that new Jerusalem coming down from out of heaven, that new Jerusalem never makes earth. There's a new heavens and a new earth over which it rules. That is the church as described. It's the bride of Christ. That's what's ruling over that new heavens and new earth. The old heavens and the old earth have passed away. They've burned up. They've gone. They've done. And he's created a new heavens and a new earth that doesn't have a sun, moon, or stars. It has instead the heavenly city that is the sun for that new heavens and new earth. Everybody follow me? You will next week, I hope, as we get through it. 
Because 21 is an explanation of 20. It's not an explanation of the eternal state. It's not the explanation of what happens after the great white throne judgment. Everybody follow me? I, I hope you will next week. It's your statement, so just stay with me. Here's the deal. It says that I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. That's the new heavens and the earth that fled away, not the old heaven and the old earth. It's the new one that's fled away. Why? Because we're about to go into an eternal state, and I don't know what that's like. I don't have a description of the eternal state. All right? Let's pick this up. The fact that there will be a great white throne judgment, get this picture, judgment is certain. No one escapes it. From the time of Adam and Eve through the time of the last human being that's destroyed, there, will, there are all those people who will have gone through judgment. Everybody will be judged. There isn't anybody who misses that judgment. His chosen people, Israel, be judged with righteousness and the just standard of himself and his word. They are judged based on their faith in God and its obedient expression. Everybody follow me? Words follow your belief. It is belief that tests you, friend. It's belief that either saves you or loses you. Belief in God saves you. Unbelief loses you. And to be frank with you, the, the, the actions that people have that we think most about are coming as a direct result of what people believe. Whatever you think is your authority. Matter of fact, let me, let me state it a, a different way because I wrote it down. I wanted to make sure I said it uh, in that same way. What you trust as the authority in your life will determine how you behave. What you trust as the authority in your life will determine how you behave. And your behavior will be one of those things you're judged upon. Israel was judged upon whether they believed God or they didn't, and then from that, how they acted on that belief. The church will be judged on. Matter of fact, I think I say that in the next page. Let's go over to the next page then. Believers in Christ will be judged. They are not under condemnation, but they will be judged for how they use the gifts of faith and the gifts of the Spirit in carrying out their commission and their obedience to Him. They will experience reward or loss, but their lives are secured by faith in Christ. Now, here's the deal. When today... If you are understanding that Christ died in your place and you have been fully forgiven and fully purchased, if you understand that Christ rose from the dead to give you new life, today your life is secured. That faith saves your life. That faith will justify you before Almighty God. And you'll act on that faith. That ended your judgment for condemnation, your judgment of your sin. That ended it when you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everybody with me? That ended it. You will not be judged for your sins again. Christ did that for you. We'll see that in a minute. But from then on, how you handled your faith, what you did with the gifts of the Spirit, what you did with the gift of faith is what you'll be judged on. And you'll be judged with reward or loss. If you did what Christ said to do with your gifts, if you use those gifts in the full faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you use them out of the love that you were given, if you use those gifts in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive reward. If you chose to bury that and go ahead and do your own thing, thinking that all that really matters is whether you get to go to the game, 
you got your Super Bowl ticket, so all that's important was I get to go to the game. Everybody followed the analogy I'm making here? And you decided you'd just go ahead and bury the, the talents you were given, the gifts you were given, that that's for preachers, that's for su- these missionaries, that's for somebody else, then you're going to be tragic, tragically awakened one day to realize you're facing great loss for what you did. You did not use what the Lord gave you. And instead of having reward for something you could give Christ in honor of his coronation, in honor of your marriage, instead of you having some sort of dowry you could give in that marriage, you have nothing except the white robe he gave you to wear. Everybody follow where I'm at? Believers are judged also. Nations surviving the tribulation without the mark of the beast will be judged on their faith in Christ, expressed in their mercy for his brethren. During the tribulation, we're not going to have time to get together with churches and have all kinds of church celebrations and so forth. If you are able to get together with your family, you shall be blessed because there is tremendous persecution on during the time of the tribulation. So what you're judged on is all those fleeing Jewish people, all those fleeing believers in Christ, when they were trying to get away from the persecution that was coming, and you saw them, and you gave them comfort, and you gave them food, and you gave them f- just what Matthew 25 said, he said, then you're going into the kingdom. It was your faith in Christ first, and your works came afterward. Everybody with understand where I'm coming from in this? Number four, Jesus is judged by the Father on the cross. Jesus is a human too. And he's judged by the Father on the cross because he took on himself the sins of humans and paid them in full for those who receive this offering by faith. Simply and plainly here, kids, Jesus is taking our judgment on himself. You say, yeah, that's, that's the tenet of our faith. That's the basis of our faith. Please don't let that go lightly with you. That is why you're here today. That's why you have any hope for tomorrow. Jesus actually took your punishment on himself and paid for it in full to give you everlasting life. Number five, all others are judged at the great white throne judgment. First, for their distrust of God, and secondly, for the works that that distrust created in them. So let's, let's follow this down. You're going to believe in somebody. Everybody with me? You're going to believe in somebody. You're going to trust somebody as the authority in your life. Some people, they, they trust in politics, somebody in politics to, for their life. They, they trust in some ism someplace, that there's some ism that will guide me through. There, some people trust in ethics. They trust in their own righteousness. They trust in their own ability to do all kinds of things. Others put their trust in people. People put all kinds of trust misguidedly. The only trust placed that will ever save your life is faith in Christ. That's it. There is not another faith. Everybody everybody see where I'm at? Not another faith. Every other faith comes woefully short of the glory of God, and because of it, you will perish. It is a choice you're making. Now, let's back up and see what he says here about that. In Revelation 20 and in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. 
and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in, in, in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then the death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So get this picture. A book of life. Your name is written in the book of life if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For your name not to be found written in the book of life is already your condemnation. Everybody follow where I'm at? That is your condemnation. Your works, put them aside for right now. It wasn't your works that got you in trouble, friend. It was this. You rejected the offer of Almighty God to be your God. And when you rejected that offer, you put yourself in a dangerous, dangerous place. By putting no faith in God's offer of grace and peace to you, you put yourself in a place where you were alone. Oh, oh you may trust in your ism. You may, you may think that it really was smart because you trusted in intellectualism. You, you trusted in your ability to answer people's questions and, and make fun of Christians in some way or make fun of believers because you now were smarter than they were. You could disprove their faith. You could do all kinds. You may have thought that you really are a sharp cookie. Friend, let me tell you, standing before God, you're just another dull tool. There's nothing about you that you can say to him. You haven't got anything, friend. You, you've forgotten where you came from. You've dreamed somehow or another that you somehow became a God, and you didn't. You just plain didn't. Just because you had clever answers doesn't make you a God. And now you will face God as if you think you're his peer, and you will know for sure you are not. You didn't want him, and now you're alone. There will be nobody to stand there with you, all your buddies that goaded you and made fun and could also be a part of your... No, no, you're standing by yourself. And you're hearing him call you out. Doug, your name's not in this book. Doug, this is what you've done. I've got a record of everything, even down to the vain words you've spoken. They're all right here. This isn't whether you're going to plead guilty or not, Doug. You're guilty. There is no arguments I'm listening to here. There are no attorneys. There's no defense lawyers. This is what you did. And because you've chosen to face that by yourself, without an advocate, without the attorney of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to answer for this all by yourself. No one will help you. Now, get the picture. When we die, the biblical picture of our death is this. When we die, our body and spirit separate from one another. That's what death means, separation. 
So right now, today, your spirit's in your body. It's a living thing. That's what animates your body. But when that spirit departs from that body, that body's dead. And that body being dead, because it's organic, is going to go back to the stuff that it came from. You're going to go back to dust. You're going to go back to what you were. Now, God has the record of your DNA and RNA. He's got full record of who you are. He knows everything about you. So it's not, it's not impossible for him to put you back together again. All right? So death and the grave have those bodies. But when you passed away, that spirit went from a place uh, here on this planet to Sheol. Sheol was the place of the dead, and it had two compartments in it. It had an apartment called Hades. It had an apartment called the bosom of Abraham or paradise. This is where Lazarus and the rich man were. The rich man was in Hades. Lazarus was here over in Abraham's bosom being comforted. Luke 16. And as the rich man looked up, he saw Lazarus going through all this wonderful comfort, and he said, Father Abraham, could you send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in some water and touch my tongue for it's hot over here? Can't do it, son. You had your stuff in your life. He had his stuff in his, and now he's comforted. Well, then, could you send him back to talk to my brothers? No. They have Moses and the prophets. Oh, but Lord, they have Moses and the prophets now, and they're living like me. I know where they're going to wind up. Please, I don't want them to be here. Just go ahead and send, send Lazarus back to talk about him. He said, look, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe somebody who rose from the dead. And so today, they still don't believe somebody who rose from the dead. All right? That was the two compartments. When Jesus died, our understanding is he went to that Abraham's bosom. And he preached to those who were there and shared with the rest of them, this is the completion of the gospel. I am the completion of that gospel. I am the salvation that all of you have been looking for. And it says that he led captivity captive. He took those people who were captive in that bosom of Abraham, and he led them in his resurrection to heaven with him. So that now when you die, you don't go down as a believer. You go up to paradise. And you're, you're there forever with him there. Your spirit does. Everybody follow me now? But a spirit and a body being separated are death. Humans weren't made to live in death. They were made to live in, in life. So what does he do? At this judgment, he brings back all that's in the grave there's the bodies. All that were in the sea, there's their bodies. So now you've got bodies, and he brings up all that are in Hades. So this is all the people who have been awaiting sentencing, final sentencing, in Hades. And now they're lifted out of Hades, those spirits, and those spirits are reunited with their bodies, so they're having another resurrection. Oh, well, good, then they're safe, right? No, they're not safe. Now, in that resurrection, they'll have to face that judgment. And facing that judgment, they're hearing their condemnation. They're hearing, your name's not written in the book of life, and here are the deeds that you have done. You will be consigned to this lake of fire, 
that made for the devil and his angels. That's the second death. That's why it's called the second death. They already died once and wound up in Hades. Now they've been reunited with their body. They've had a resurrection. And with that resurrection, they're going through that judgment. And with that judgment, they're going through the second death. They will now be separated from God forever. In the solitary confinement that drives people insane. Because there's no one there you can have fellowship with. And can I say, there are not even guards that come up and down the hall that can offer you even ridicule. There's nothing. You're alone. Alone. Forever alone. You haven't got a prayer. You haven't got a hope. You got nothing. I'm sure you can live with regret. If only I had. If only I had. When my neighbor men kept coming across over there and bugging me about that gospel, if I'd only had just said yes. Why did I not say yes? Here's where I am forever. Can you see why your friends, brothers and sisters, don't want that for you? These are people who enjoy talking with you, enjoy being with you, enjoy your company, and they know in their heart they haven't trusted Christ, and I know they're going to live in a Christless, alone hell for the rest of their lives, for eternity. And they're even resurrected, so there's not even a hope of getting out of that. That's why your friends pray for you. That's why your friends look for you. That's why they try to speak to you. That's why they try to give you help. That's why they try to ask you, please, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yeah, maybe they don't say things the way you like to hear them. Friend, look past them and look at the one who's making the offer. It's not their offer. They got a gift and they're loving that gift. They're appreciating that gift. But the offer is coming from the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior. He's wanting to give you the gift. Look past them. No, they didn't die for your sins. He did. And yes, they're flawed people. Yeah, they are. You may look at them and say they're even nice people. They're good people. I like them. I just don't want that Jesus stuff. The day will come, friend, when you won't have that Jesus stuff. Please, today, turn from that. Why do you retain your arrogance? Who do you think you are? Have you forgotten? You didn't make yourself, friend. You're not that much in charge. You're just one more dirt bag like the rest of us. And you got a soul that's dead set against God. And here that God is saying to you today, come home. Come home. Don't stay out there anymore. Why do you keep on doing that and hurting yourself when it's ultimately going to wind up in greater pain than you've ever known?
as we've said, death is separation. You've got the physical, you've got the grave, the death, the sea. The spiritual is the paradise or Hades. And this judgment is following the resurrection, that, that second resurrection thing. Having not been found in that book of life, you'll be judged by the works which you did. And friend, your works won't be found righteous. Why? Because to be righteous works, they have to be done in the name of and for the sake of God Almighty. Please this day, if you have not trusted Christ, put your trust in him now. And you say, but I'm just a kid. I, I, don't, I don't have to be worried about that right now. Yes, you do. You don't have any guarantee how long you're going to live, son. You don't know how long you're going to be alive, young lady. Put your trust in Christ now. Father, thank you for who Jesus Christ is. Thank you for the love of God that's found in him and in him alone. I ask, Father, for the sake of Christ, that you'll open every heart to help us to see and look into there what's going on in us. Why are we doing these things? How can we trust Christ further? How can we grow in grace? Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do and for the way that you will do it. In Christ's name, amen. Friend, don't be afraid of Jesus. Respect him. Jesus is the one. I mean, that's the sound of a really harsh message. I'm not trying to be harsh about it. I'm trying to tell you about the grace of God. This is the one who came so we would not perish. This is the one who specifically came to reveal what God is like. This is the one who looked at people, had compassion on them, and instead of condemning them, as he said, I didn't come to condemn, I came to save. So rather than run from Jesus or rather than get mad at Jesus or any other thing, put your faith and trust in Jesus and find the great forgiveness that's in him. Find the great relief that's found in him. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. Well, uh, Al will be speaking to us tonight, 6 o'clock, so please join us for that. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much that Jesus Christ did come to save us. Thank you for the, the gift of grace that's being found in him even now. Thank you for the kindness you're showing to us every single day. Now, Father, I'm asking that no one will leave this room without knowing 100% for sure that if they were to die this afternoon, they would wind up in the presence of the Lord and in enjoying the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who died and saved them. In Christ's name, I praise you and thank you. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.